Hello, this is David Nakao Wilcoxon. This audio is from a Revelation Timeline Decoded YouTube video series that I made in 2021. The videos were very low tech, mostly me reading what's on the screen, so you're not missing much in the audio version. The Revelation Layers Chart and Summary PDFs that I refer to in the videos can be found at www.revelationtimelinedecoded.com. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David, and in this video, I'm going to talk about the second trumpet judgment. And if you haven't done so, I strongly recommend watching the previous videos in this Revelation series so that the explanation is in context. If you show up and see this explanation on the second trumpet and you don't have the proper context that I've already built up over the past videos, then it might not make sense. It seems out of order, especially if you're believing the futuristic explanation of prophecy. So I highly recommend that. If you want more information about the fulfillment of Revelation, the Revelation Timeline Dakota book provides it in detail. The first four trumpet judgments are pointing to judgments against one third of the earth. But the earth that John is pointing to in Revelation is the Roman Empire, not the whole earth, but the Roman Empire. So during the fourth century, the Roman Empire was divided into three parts. The Western Roman Empire, the eastern part of Constantinople, which spoke Greek, and the middle Illyrian prefecture. So Revelation 8, 8-9 says, And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships destroyed. And I covered this on a previous video, but Messiah uses symbols, which are found in the Old Testament to point to a literal fulfillment. So we see symbols of a burning mountain, fire, sea, and those are the symbols that he's using. If you say that Revelation is just symbolic or just literal, you miss the explanation because Messiah is using symbols to point to a literal fulfillment. So when you apply the scriptural definitions of the symbols and you look at history, you can see how they are literally fulfilled. It's like a final exam to see if you studied the whole word of Yah, our Heavenly Father. A mountain can symbolize a great nation. And speaking of Babylon, Yah used this terminology in Jeremiah 51:25. Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain, says the Lord, which destroys all the earth, and I will stretch out my hand upon thee, and roll thee down from the rocks, and will make thee a burnt mountain. So we see the destroying mountain, and it's saying it's destroying all the earth. Well, obviously, all the earth did not get destroyed. So what's it saying? It's saying that Babylon is being judged. So the earth that it's talking about at this point in Jeremiah is Babylon. So it's pointing to a land. It's pointing to an area, not the whole earth. People take things out of context. They apply it to the whole earth, and they're missing the explanation. The sea in Scripture can symbolize large centers of people nations. So the terminology in Revelation of water is pointing to people groups, such as when the great army of Medo-Persia came against Babylon. In Jeremiah 51, 42, it says, the sea has come up upon Babylon. She is covered with the multitude of the waves thereof. And it obviously can point to literal seas of waters. So there's different applications. You have to look to see which one it's pointing to, the symbolic word sea or the literal sea. And in this case, it's actually pointing to both. But we can see in Jeremiah, the sea so it's an army coming up against Babylon. The sea of people is coming up against Babylon. It's not talking about literal water and saying that she's covered with the multitude of waves. So attacks. So the great mountain, the kingdom, 
being cast into the sea points to maritime warfare against the Roman Empire. The second trumpet represents the Vandals, a branch of the Goths. They fought naval battles in the Mediterranean Sea between 425 and 470 and destroyed many Roman ships by pirating the seas. The Vandals were led by Genseric, who is known as the Tyrant of the Seas. Isn't that amazing? Their army is a great destroying mountain, and he's called the Tyrant of the Seas, and Messiah said that he's going to be cast into the sea. They were like a great burning mountain that attacked the coastlands on the Mediterranean and all the islands, leaving bloodshed and confusion in their wake. Many portions of the sea were turned into blood as ships were captured and many sailors were killed. So we see the fulfillment right there of Messiah saying the sea would turn into blood. The word vandalism comes from this time as they plundered the empire and stripped it of gold and silver and ornaments and trophies. During the first trumpet judgment, Rome's power had been greatly weakened, but Genseric utterly broke it. Genseric, like Alaric the Visigoth, believed himself to be an agent of divine wrath. At length, the work of ravaging the coast became almost monotonous and the choice of a victim hard. Once, when the fleet was weighing acre and was sailing forth from Carthage's broad harbor, the helmsman turned to the king and asked for what part he should steer. And Genseric replied, for the men with whom God is angry. How amazing is that? He, he knows he's on a mission to go attack the people with whom the Heavenly Father is angry. So that's how he answered the helmsman. So basically, he let the winds and the waters to settle the question, who were the proper objects of the wrath of heaven? And that led him to the next destination. Leave the determination to the winds. They will transport us to the guilty coast, whose inhabitants have provoked the divine justice. The Western Emperor's naval resources were exhausted, so he appealed to the Eastern Roman Empire for aid against the Vandals. A great fleet was gathered, and the Eastern Empire's powers were strenuously exerted to deliver Italy and the Mediterranean from the Vandals. Roman historian Edward Gibbon documented, Genseric again became the tyrant of the sea. The coasts of Italy, Greece, and Asia were again exposed to his revenge and avarice. Tripoli and Sardinia returned to his obedience. He added Sicily to the number of his provinces, and before he died in the fullness of years of glory, he beheld the final extinction of the Empire of the West. The terrible Genseric, a name which, in the Vandal's destruction of the Roman Empire, had deserved equal rank with the names of Alaric and Attila. Genseric cast his eyes towards the sea. He resolved to create a naval power to embrace a mode of warfare which would render every maritime country accessible to their arms. So the Vandals repeatedly visited the coast of the Roman Empire. So we see Messiah saying a great mountain, a nation, is going to come and be cast into the sea. And, and, and we see Genseric casting his eyes towards the sea to create a naval power to make war against the Roman Empire. The emperor was determined to break Genseric's power, and three years were spent building a fleet. The woods of the Alpenines were felled, and the arsenals and manufacturers of Ravenna and Misenum were restored. Italy and Gaul vied with each other in liberal contributions to the public service, and the imperial navy of 300 galleys with an adequate proportion of transports and smaller vessels was collected in the secure and capacious harbor of Carthagena in Spain. But Genseric surprised the unguarded fleet in the Bay of Carthagena. Many of the ships were sunk or taken or burnt, and the preparations of three years were destroyed in a single day. The Roman fleet that sailed from Constantinople to Carthage consisted of 1,113 ships, and the number of soldiers and mariners exceeded 100,000 men. Genseric, who had long oppressed both the land and sea, was threatened from every side with a formidable invasion. 
He beheld the danger and developed a plan. He positioned that he was ready to yield to the emperor, but he requested a five-day truce to arrange the terms, and it was granted. Guided by their secret intelligence, Tinsherik surprised the unguarded fleet in the bay. Many of the ships were sunk or taken or burnt, and the preparations of three years were destroyed in a single day. The wind became favorable to the designs of Genseric. He manned his largest ships of war with the bravest of moors and vandals, and they towed after them many large barges, filled with combustible materials. In the obscurity of the night, these destructive vessels were impelled against the unguarded and unsuspecting fleet of Romans, who were awakened by the sense of their instant danger. Their close and crowded order assisted the progress of the fire, which was communicated with rapid and irresistible violence, and the noise of the wind, the crackling of the flames, the dissonant cries of the soldiers and mariners, who could neither command nor obey, increased the horror of the nocturnal tumult. Whilst they labored to extricate themselves from the fire ships and to save at least part of the navy, the galleys of Genseric assaulted them with temperate and disciplined valor, and many of the Romans who escaped the fury of the flames were destroyed and taken by the victorious vandals. So keep in mind that Messiah describes the vandals as a great burning mountain being cast into the sea. In the book, A History of Marine Architecture, John Charnock is not documenting Revelation's fulfillment, but describing the naval battle against the Roman Empire, and he uses these words. The eruption of the Vandals, the successors of the Goths, and equal claimants with them as to the extent of the share they separately held in the destruction of the Roman Empire, forced its way like a slow but terrific eruption of a volcano. Here's this guy in the 19th century talking about the eruption of the Vandals, and, and describes them as a terrific eruption of a volcano. To me, that is so amazing. We see the clear fulfillment of prophecy, not the fancy stories that people say about the future. We see the exacting, amazing fulfillment of prophecy. I love it. In the book, Rome's Enemies, The Desert Frontier, David Nicole says, increasing resistance by the Berbers had greatly weakened Rome's hull by the time that German vandals erupted on the scene in the 5th century. Once again, another historian say, using the word erupted. And I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't think he's trying to prove out prophecy. He's just describing who they are. But the Holy Spirit uses people to convey history, and they use the same language to describe what took place. And we see that over and over again. In the book, Italy and Her Invaders, Thomas Hodgkin says, The vandal leader, Genseric, put all his energies to shipbuilding and soon possessed incomparably the most formidable navy power in the Mediterranean. From Carthage's port, he repeatedly made piratical sallies, preying on the Roman commerce and waged war with the empire. So how amazing is the exact fulfillment of our Messiah's prophecy? He heard the saints' cries and prayers and carried out vengeance against the enemies of his saints. The third trumpet judgment points to the next barbarian army being sent to attack the Roman Empire. Our Heavenly Father is faithful to avenge his saints who cried out for vengeance. I hope that helps you see the fulfillment of the second judgment. There is a video on the Revelation Timeline Dakota website, which provides more information. Thank you for listening to this Revelation Timeline Decoded audio. You can request a free copy of the Revelation Timeline Decoded summary PDF or order a printed copy of the book, which explains it in detail at revelationtimelinedecoded.com. I love y'all. Shalom.